Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn back to John chapter 8. We're doing a series here uh, through John's Gospel. We're doing a, a, a section that is all connected. Uh, Jesus finds himself in Jerusalem. It's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, arguably the most joyous feast of the Jews. But this won't be a year where this feast is remembered for the joy, but for the sadness of what took place. Um, at that feast on the last day, we know Jesus made two huge claims regarding who he is. In the morning of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was the, there was the water ceremony where God's people commemorated how God was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and led their forefathers through the wilderness. And just as they were going through this water ceremony, Jesus stood up and said, eh, the water ceremony commemorated, sorry, the, the rock of salvation that provided um, water for the people in the wilderness. And Jesus stood up and said, during that water ceremony, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what Jesus was saying was he was the fulfillment of the rock of salvation in the wilderness. He was the one who can quench everyone's thirst if they come to him. And then the second claim he made in the evening of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was at the light ceremony, the, the ceremony where God's people commemorated God being the pillar of cloud and being the pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. And it was during that light ceremony that Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus was saying, I'm the pillar of cloud. I'm the pillar of fire. I am the light of the world who dispels the darkness. Well, last week we eavesdropped on the conversation that took place following Jesus' glorious announcement regarding who he was. And you'll remember that the Jewish leaders were furious. And they tried to stop Jesus and silence Jesus. They didn't want the crowds to believe in Jesus. But Jesus was brilliant because he responded by showing the crowds that these men who challenged him were themselves walking in darkness and did not have the light of life. And more than that, Jesus said, do you know what's going to back up my claim regarding who I am? The Son of Man will be lifted up. And this proves who I am. And what we saw in verse 30, if you just look down at your Bibles, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. In other words, our passage didn't end on a negative note, but it ended on a rather positive note. People hear who Jesus is and they believe in him. Well, as we pick things up in verse 31 this morning, the focus turns from the Jewish religious leaders to those who have just professed faith in Jesus. And maybe like me, you're expecting a, a better conversation. But unfortunately, the same hard-hitting truths that Jesus said to the religious leaders, he's now going to say to these so-called believers. 
We've actually seen this before in John's gospel. There are people who say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't really believe. So in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, Jesus was at the feast of Passover. He performed many signs, and we read many believed in him. And then we read, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. If I could paraphrase that, many believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. And that's what we have here before us. And what Jesus is going to do in this conversation, he is going to expose their faulty faith. Three headings this morning, these so-called believers believed they were free, when in reality they were enslaved. These so-called believers believed they were good, when in reality they were wicked. These so-called believers believed Jesus was a demon, when in reality he is God. So point number one, these so-called believers believed they were free, when in reality they were enslaved. Look then at what Jesus says in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, if you want to know if you're a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's how you'll know. You will hold fast. You will abide in my word. And he says, and the truth will set you free. And when he refers to the truth here, he's referring to himself. He'll say so in verse 36. He'll also say in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. So it's really clear. If you want to know if you're a disciple, you'll hold fast to Jesus' teaching. You'll know the truth, and truth will set you free. Now listen to the response of those who believed in him. They answered, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? You see what they do there? Instead of abiding in Jesus' teaching, they immediately question Jesus' teaching. So Jesus has said, before anyone comes to him, they're enslaved. And if you come to him, he sets you free. And their immediate response is to say, hold on, Jesus, don't you know who we are? We're the the children of Abraham. And in their minds, that meant we are in good standing with God. We always have been. And then the self-deceived so-called believers say, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now press pause there. Any student of history... And any student of biblical history knows the Old Testament. You know that the Jews were enslaved time and time and time again. Exodus in Egypt, 400 years, not as tourists, but as slaves. In the days of Daniel, 70 years in Babylon, not in Babylon in a jolly, slaves to King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, as they make this very statement, we've not been enslaved to anyone, Israel is under Roman occupation. 
Now, you know what they've done. We've seen this so many times. Jesus is speaking to them on a spiritual plane. He's speaking to them about spiritual realities, and all they hear are earthly, political, and not economical realities. And that's how they respond. They say, we've never been enslaved. And even that statement, it's not true. But Jesus doesn't stop and give them a history lesson. He now uses this as an opportunity to expose the real tragedy. Namely, they were slaves to sin. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus disabuses them of this notion that they were um, free. He says, no, 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 everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And for Jesus, the ultimate enslavement, the ultimate bondage is not to King Neb, to Pharaoh, to, to Caesar. Their ultimate slavery was to their moral failure, to the rebellion against God. Their despotic master was their sin. Their shameful self-centeredness. Their addiction to worshipping the created rather than the creator. Now, you and I might hear this expression, uh, slave to sin, and we might find it a bit hard-hitting. Like, really? Is everyone who practices sin a slave to sin? You might look at your own life and think, I'm not a slave to sin. Like, outwardly speaking, I'm not addicted or enslaved to anything. I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to alcohol. But this is the thing about slavery to sin. It's not just always outward. More often than not, it's inward. In fact, exhibit A, the Jews. You would struggle to have found a Jew, at least in this crowd, and especially among the religious leaders who would have had an outward addiction problem. But you can bet all of these Jews standing there were addicted to their own pride, in bondage to their own man-made laws and traditions. And so what these Jews do here is they, they deny their enslavement, spiritually speaking, and in so doing, they're denying their need of Jesus. They're denying themselves that opportunity to come and find true freedom in him. Look at verse 36. Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came into this world because he's in the business of liberating liberating us from the tyranny of our slave master, sin. Jesus comes and says to us, do you want to know where true freedom is found? It's not found apart from me, it's found with me. Before I became a Christian, I was absolutely convinced that if you became a Christian, you became a slave to the laws of the Bible and all the regulations that the churches had set up. And I didn't want that. And I convinced myself that I wanted to remain free. I wanted to be independent, make my own choices and live my own lifestyle in my own way. I didn't need God or his word to tell me how I ought to live I wanted to be 
the captain of my own destiny, in charge of my own life. It's interesting, I've mentioned this so many times, but The Hymn Can It Be was written by Charles Wesley in Little Britain Street. That's the door you walked into this church this morning. And Charles Wesley, who wrote that hymn, if you met him before he came to Christ, he was the opposite of what I was like before I came to Christ. Because he was a man who loved outwardly the things of God. So get this right. When he was a student, he made friends with all these Christians, and they formed a group called the Holy Club. But he wasn't a Christian. And there was a pub that's just across the road in Aldersgate Street. It's no longer there, but it was in one of those buildings, perhaps where that pub is today. And they used to sit in there, and they used to debate and discuss theology and how they could evangelize the world. And he wasn't yet a Christian. In fact, he went on a mission trip to Georgia with his brother, and they told people about Jesus, but he wasn't yet a Christian. And then he came back here, and when he was on Little Britain Street, he'd read Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians, and he came to faith, and he wrote the hymn, And Can It Be? And the most fascinating thing he wrote in that hymn, the stanza that's just so gripping is, Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You can be a slave to sin and be the most deeply religious person. And that was the problem with these Jews. They were in bondage. They were in shackles. But they didn't know it. They couldn't see it. They they appealed to their spiritual heritage. We're Abram's children. Surely we're right with God. Surely we're free. And Jesus says, if you want to be free, you've got to come to the Son. And I guess in a church like ours, there's probably people sitting here, and outwardly, you're religious. You come to church on a regular basis. Outwardly, people think you're a Christian. But I wonder, are you still in chains to sin? Are you still in bondage? The amazing news of Christianity is this. You can be set free. You know what's fascinating is that the whole Feast of Tabernacles, it was commemorating God's people's exodus from Egypt and then wilderness wandering. How did, why did God set his people free from bondage and slavery? Because they cried out to him and he heard their cries. And here's a promise. If you cry out to Jesus this morning, he will set you free. Okay, so these so-called believers believed they were free when in reality they were enslaved. Now point number two, these so-called believers believed they were good when in reality they were evil or wicked. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. So, so Jesus says, okay, granted, you are bi- biologically, genetically speaking, yeah, offspring of Abraham. But then he continues, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
Now, Jesus is making it really clear here, and he's going to make it clear again and again. They are not his disciples because they do not abide in his word. They are not Abraham's descendants because they do not behave like their father, Abraham. Jesus makes it clear, as he's been making clear with the Jewish leaders in the previous passage, that he is at one with the Father. He says, I speak, in verse 38, of what I've seen with my Father. And then Jesus throws this hand grenade into their lap and says to them, and you, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Now, we're going to get to the punchline, but Jesus is saying, Abraham is not your father, someone else is your father. And that was what the religious leaders had said to Jesus last week. Who is your father, Jesus? Because we know Joseph isn't your father. We know that Mary had you, and there's rumors as to who your father is. And when the Jews hear this, they respond, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus, he is our father. And so Jesus says, no, let me tell you why he's not your father. Verse 39, if you were Abram's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What works did Abraham do? He believed God's word. He put his faith and trust in God and followed him. Here's what Jesus says that they are doing. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. This is not a case of like father, like son. They're nothing like Abraham. They are not, spiritually speaking, Abraham's children. And Jesus makes it really clear again, I'm telling you the truth that he heard from God. Because remember, he's at one with his father. And every time Jesus speaks, he speaks what the father says. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now, this would be really frustrating, right? If someone kept on saying to you an insult, you're not Abraham's children. You're doing the works of your own father. And these Jews, they feel that and they get so irate, they get so furious that they come out and they make the most insulting statement of abuse to Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. Jesus, you were in their heads. They're absolutely furious. We were not born of sexual immorality. Now, now this will set something up they'll later say about Jesus being a Samaritan. They say, we have one father, even God. So they're absolutely convinced they're true believers. They're absolutely convinced that Abram's their father. They're absolutely convinced that they've got the right spiritual pedigree. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. And so I need to ask everyone here who, 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 who say you're a Christian, do you love Jesus. Anyone who is a believer is someone who's come to love Jesus because you've discovered what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. You've discovered that Jesus is one with the Father, one with the Spirit. He is God. 
Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Now, Jesus being the truth teller he is, he tells them exactly why they do not believe him. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Which is a simple way of saying, you are not my disciples. You do not abide in the word. And you cannot. You are spiritually speaking dead. You're blind. You're in darkness. You're in bondage to sin. You need set free. And now comes the punchline we've all been waiting for. Who is their father? According to Jesus. Verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I think this is the most hard-hitting thing Jesus could have ever said. He tells them that they are the sons of Satan and they are not the sons of God. They're not the sons of Abraham. And if truth be told, Jesus would say that to me in my unconverted state. I might think that I'm free. I might think I'm doing what I want. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you're not following me, you're following sin. And it's as stark as that is how he presents it. Now, just look at, look at what he says, right? What's the characteristics of Satan? How are they like Satan? Well, they do what he desires. What does he do? He was a murderer from the beginning. That's, that's the Garden of Eden. Do not eat from this tree or you'll surely die. Satan, eat from the tree. Come on. Murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He's, he's a liar to the core of his being. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, but he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, Jesus' point is these Jews who are speaking to him, they are just continually lying. When I was a, an unconverted young man, one of the things I became very good at was lying. Not just lying to people, but lying to myself. So I'd convince myself that I was free. I'd convince myself that I was having fun. I'd convince myself that me being in charge of my own life was the best thing possible, when in reality, deep down, I knew the truth. I told my so many, myself so many lies, I started to believe them. It's fine. It's fun. You're free. But the reality was, I was in complete bondage to the slave master that is sin. And then I went to church, and my mom had said to me, growing up, if you read the Bible, the thing about the Bible is it will read you. And the first sermon I ever heard in a church is a, is a young guy who was inquisitive about the faith was in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says for this, as for you, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. Spiritually speaking, you're dead. And you... Seek to gratify the desires of the sinful heart. 
And the minister expounded and explained, that means you seek to do the things of your sinful desire. And I was like, that's so true. And he, he listed some things, and I'm like, that's me. How does he know who I am? And it was like the light turned on. I was a slave to sin. And the glorious good news of the gospel was preached. And at first it sounded far too good to be true. If you just come to Jesus, you'll be set free. If you come to Jesus, you'll be forgiven. If you come to Jesus, you who are evil and wicked will be declared righteous and holy and blameless in Christ. And yet that day did come. And I came to Jesus and he set me free. These Jews, they, they hear the truth from Jesus so clearly. He's the one who's full of truth. He's the one who's full of goodness. He's the one who's full of freedom. He tells them the truth to set them free. This is what he goes on to say. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And he gets even more pointed. He puts his finger right on the nerve and he says to these guys, and this is how blatantly they're lying to themselves, right? He says to them, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you, right, can find evidence that I've put Jesus, that is, his spiritual foot in the wrong place? Not one of them could. Not one of them could come with an accusation. Now, they will have the accusation that he was a blasphemer, but it's because they are lying in the face of the evidence that is staring them in the face. They just lie to themselves, and Jesus says, it's because you're just like your father, the father of lies. Jesus' rhetorical question there is, is meant to reveal something more of his identity. He is the one who's full of truth, and he is the perfect, sinless son of God. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So these so-called believers, they believed they were free when in reality they were enslaved. These so-called believers, they believed they were good when in reality they were wicked, and only Jesus is good. The final thing we see is these so-called believers believed that Jesus was a demon, when in reality he is God. Look, look at what they say, verse 48. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone had said to you, you're of the devil, how would you respond? That's what Jesus said to them. And here's their comeback. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? <laughs> now, you remember who the Samaritans are? They were of the line of the Jews, but then they um, ended up intermarrying. So not full Jews. Now, just bear in mind, Jesus was, in their minds, his beginnings was sexual immorality. So he's not a true full Jew. The worst insult a Jew could ever make to another Jew was to say, you're a Samaritan. You're not the real deal. You're not the real McCoy. And added to that, they say, you say we're sons of Satan. Well, Jesus, you have a demon. Their comeback is, Jesus, you're of the devil. That's as good as they can get. Jesus, you're... Now, they don't know it, but they've just made the ultimate statement of blasphemy. They've looked God square in the eyes and they said, you are the devil. Like, they can't convict him of any guilt. 
And now they're saying to Jesus, you're an apostate, you're an heretic, you're flawed, you're false, your theology's wrong. And Jesus' retort is just very simple. I do not have a demon. I honor my father. You dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. And then he makes the most glorious invitation to them all. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. These men want to kill him. These men want to murder him. And Jesus says, if you keep my word, you will have life and life forevermore. You'll never die. And they are furious. Can this guy be for real in essence? Look at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? So in their minds, Abraham's the greatest and he died. Are you greater than the prophets? Because they died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Now here it is. Who is Jesus? And just skip down to verse 58. Truly, truly. Here, I'm telling you the truth. Amen, amen, right? I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus tells him the truth one more time. I'm the one who sent Moses to see Pharaoh. I'm the one who spoke through the burning bush. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am God. All the evidence is staring them in the face. They can't put any guilt on them. They can't do anything. And yet these men who are so self-deceived, who say in one minute they believe, look at the final verse, they pick up stones to throw at him. Who are they? Who are they that would kill the Son of God? They are the sons Satan. But Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Augustine uh, on this verse says, as Jesus flees from the stones, woe to those who had the heart of stone from which God fled. Now how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, first of all, we see in this passage so clearly, and in this chapter, so clearly who Jesus is. Like, you'll never get a greater insight into the identity of Jesus than from John chapter 8. From the very beginning of this chapter, with the woman even caught in adultery, what do we see of Jesus? He's full of love, he's full of compassion, he's full of tenderness. But he's also one who is absolutely committed to exposing error, denouncing sin, and especially the sin of hypocrisy. In this passage, what what, what else do we see in Jesus? We see that Jesus hates sin. He's on a mission to take the penalty for sin and to put sin to an end. Hence the reason throughout this passage, Jesus continually offers sinners this glorious invitation to come to him and be set free from sin. To go and sin no more, he says to the woman caught in adultery. 
Not only that, we see that Jesus is the one who is full of love, even when he's met with terrible hate. These men and women who profess faith in him, they pick up stones to stone him. And the whole while in this passage, he's been trying to extend them the glorious invitation of salvation. Those who are plotting his death, he offers the gift of life. So who is Jesus? He's a loving, gracious, truth-speaking, sin-defeating Savior who offers sinners like you and me forgiveness. But if you're going to really respond to who Jesus is, the question is this. How do you find Jesus' teaching regarding who you are? He says you're a a slave to sin. He says that you're in bondage to the master, the, the, the tyranny of sin. And the only way you'll ever be set free, if you're willing to admit what Jesus says of you and what he says of me, we are sinners in desperate need of a savior. He is the truth. He's the one who'll set us free. And so if we come to him, we will be free indeed. Now, I made mention of this earlier. That's my testimony. I came to Jesus. I cried out to Jesus and he set me free. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you could talk to someone sitting next to you after we say the benediction and you could ask them, tell me how Jesus set you free. What does it mean to be free? And and, and here's here's what happens when you come to Jesus, right? He's taken the penalty of our sin. He's defeated the power of sin. But we still live in a world and we still live within ourselves with the presence of sin but we're free in this sense. We're free to love, love him. We're free to live for him. We're truly free. Here was the biggest lie that I believed before I became a Christian. I believed that true freedom was found apart from Jesus. I became a Christian and I discovered that everything I was looking for, the true freedom, was only found in him. I was in bondage to sin. I was in bondage to self. When I came to Jesus, I found that I was set free to live for him and to live for others. I was living for myself. I was living because pride. I'm the center of the universe. You come to Jesus, you discover he's the center of the universe. I was living to try and find satisfaction, but everything I tried, everything I tasted, nothing satisfied. I come to Jesus and he's the only one who truly, truly can satisfy a soul that is thirsty and hungry. I was living in the light and I came to Jesus. I was living in the darkness and I came to Jesus and he dispelled the darkness. And I was confronted with the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. When I saw him, I saw myself. And I became a sinner. There's now a glorious son of the Most High God. And that is the invitation for all of us this morning. The truth will set you free. So here's a question. Will you come to him? Will you believe in him? Will you love him? 
will you be set free from sin. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you and your son spoke truth on that last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this morning by your spirit, through your word, you have spoken truth to each one of us. And we pray that today we would not harden our hearts, but that we would come and find freedom and salvation in the Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.